Have you ever wanted to see for yourself what the Bible has to say? Well, you've come to the right place. Join me, Pastor Tom Marsis, and Vicar Jason Com, as we explore the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, provide you some landmarks and guideposts along the way. Welcome to Trek Through the Scriptures. Welcome to Trek Through the Scriptures, episode 35, The Goal. My name is Pastor Tom Marsa, Senior Pastor at Zion Lutheran Church. And I'm Vicar Jason Kamm. And we're glad that you're with us this week as we continue our trek through the Scriptures. We're finishing up the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles uh, chapters 28 to 36, and we're starting into the New Testament, Matthew chapters 1 through 8, and we're continuing our second uh, look at the book of Psalms, Psalm 78 to 84. We're glad that you're with us this week, and uh, we, as we continue uh, our New vicar, Vicar Jason Kahn, will be with us now as we go through the New Testament portion, and uh, he's getting into ministry here at Zion. So what we're doing here today is uh, really kind of doing an overview of the Old Testament a little bit, just covering a few of the high points as we've done that, and moving into the New Testament. Well, I'm glad to be getting into some more familiar territory because some of those minor prophets and uh, chronicles and kings parts of the Old Testament can be a little confusing, but we're going to start things fresh with uh, diving into Matthew today. But first, we want to just briefly go through the story so far. How did we get to where we're at in Matthew today? So, we start at the very beginning when God creates a perfect universe and his creation culminates with Adam and Eve, his favorites, and he sets these two humans up to rule over everything and take care of everything that he created on earth. But that didn't last too long because sin enters creation. It didn't even take three whole chapters for that to happen. And from here on out, even to the present day, we live in a post-Genesis 3 world. So everything that comes after Genesis 3 and even everything that happens today um, is affected by the entrance of sin into the world at the very beginning. But God would not just leave his world to be destroyed like this. He promises a savior to them right off the bat. And so we see throughout the rest of the Old Testament, we're getting closer and closer to a specific goal. Um, and another step that God takes to make sure that happens is that he promises a man named Abraham many descendants, a huge family. That's Israel, his own people. He claims them for his very own. And so we see then God deals with human history specifically through Israel. This is the focus, uh, the main group of people that we have in the Old Testament. Well, one of the things that we've talked about related to that is that God is indeed a God of history, and he works in and through history. And we see this most specifically now starting out with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and we follow his family. Uh, through the ups and downs. Uh, the, the great part about going through the Old Testament is the realization that God doesn't use perfect people for his purpose. We're all sinners. And Abraham and his family and descendants uh, have their, all, their own particular issues and struggles with sin. And that ultimately leads uh, to his family being down in Egypt and ultimately enslaved by the Egyptians. And God does send a savior to them in the sense of Moses, and the entire book of Exodus really details that uh, exciting event, how God has not forgotten his people, uh, delivers them to the promised land and all that takes of it. And then once again, they get to the promised land where you would think and hope that everything would be great. 
But again, sin impacts the people and lives, and we see that through the book of Judges, the kings, the prophets, all uh, a call back to repentance and forgiveness, and yet ultimately the sin impacts, and we see even though God ultimately gives them the king, and we have Saul, then moving over to David and his family and Solomon, then the splitting of the 12 tribes into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Right. This was never a part of God's design. He wanted his people to be one united people. But because of sin, because we live in a post-Genesis 3 world, they split into two kingdoms. And so God had to proclaim some judgment to them. They had sinned against him far too much, and there was punishment coming. And that comes in the form of the Assyrian invasion, which completely wiped out the northern kingdom of Israel. And then a little after that, the Babylonian exile, where Jerusalem itself as a city fell, the temple was destroyed, and the Judeans were taken away into exile for about 50 years. But throughout this punishment, throughout this judgment, God was still working to save them through the prophets. He spoke words of promise to them, saying that one day they would return to Jerusalem, that there'd be a new Jerusalem even, and that he would set all the wrong things in the world right. And eventually, they do return to Jerusalem, and this gets into Ezra and Nehemiah and Esther, sort of the post-exilic period. God's people are brought back into Jerusalem, and they set themselves up again with the building of the second temple, the rebuilding of the walls, Um, but they still struggle with sin. They still have the same old idolatry problems. And they need a new heart. And well, their idolatry shifted. And the, most of the Old Testament, we see them uh, going after other gods or the gods of the people around them. Uh, their I, idols basically became their work and their work's righteousness. And they shifted it instead of having faith in that God was their God and that he would care for them. We don't see them chasing after other gods, but it's a different kind. And we fall into now the 400-year period between the last prophet and the New Testament. And that's often referred to as the intertestamental period. And that brings us now to the New Testament, the coming of the story that we see beginning to unfold in the first gospel of Matthew. And the reason we give you this fast Reader's Digest overview is just to kind of set the context of where we're starting with the New Testament, realizing that some people who may not have been on the track with us from Genesis to the end of the Old Testament are now jumping in with the New Testament, giving us a little bit of context. And as we go through, uh, just reminding everybody how important as we're reading the scriptures to understand the context of that reading, uh, when it was written, how, why it was written, who wrote it, obviously God being the ultimate author of all things, but the author that God would inspire to do that, where they were living, the customs of the day, all those contexts impact as we try to understand correctly uh, what God's purpose was and what the message is he's given us. So one of the things we would con- and we've continued to challenge throughout our trek through the scriptures, it's important that we do not read the scriptures with 21st century eyes. Uh, if we read it with 21st century eyes, uh, we're missing uh, the context of when it was written and why and how it was written. And very easily, and we see this oftentimes uh, in the the greater church around us, of trying to take the context of something was written thousands of years ago and interpreting it solely through the eyes of 21st century America. And that can be very confusing and therefore lead to some very false 
assumptions as we go through it. So with that in mind, we're going to dive into the Gospel of Matthew and realizing that the first four books of the Bible, uh, New Testament, I should say, are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The word gospel means... Good news. And that good news is about Jesus Christ. And so we realize that the first four books are going to deal with the life of Jesus, the good news of uh, the saving good news that God has brought through Jesus Christ. And so uh, there is uniqueness to each one of the three books as we get into that. Uh, as we get into that, I don't want to dive into this too much because it can uh, get pretty complicated, but... Uh, scholars, as they look to the Gospels, one of the questions they always ask is, which Gospel is written first? Uh, some believe it was Matthew, some believe it was Mark, uh, some believe there's maybe even a document other than those. Uh, they labeled it Q. We'll talk about that more when we get to Mark. Uh, but basically, you're going to see a lot of similarity between Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, the fancy word that we use in scholarly terms is the synoptic gospels. Uh, I'm not exactly thinking you're going to necessarily need to remember that, but the word, but understand that they're the similar. And the reason that Matthew is sometimes thought to be first is that uh, there is a lot of Old Testament reference, uh, a lot of Aramaic, which would be uh, interspersed with the Greek and so forth. So some have thought that maybe Matthew was first written in Aramaic, uh, the language, the the language of the people in their everyday speaking, and then translated into Greek. We don't know that for a fact. Uh, you'll find that as a lot of biblical scholarship, you got to kind of come through the weeds. What is thought may happen, and what we actually have proof of. Either way, uh, whether Matthew was first or first, or as we're going to talk later about Mark, the important thing is it's inspired by God. God worked in through Matthew to write the gospel, and so that we can trust the words as what is written and go in that direction as well. Right. And clearly, there is some sort of relationship between all four gospels because they're telling a story, but it's not the same person telling the story each time. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell the story of Jesus' life, ministry, death, and resurrection on earth. But because they're different, they're going to latch on to different details. They're going to tell it in different ways. And that just makes the gospel story even better because we have four different accounts of Jesus. And actually, if you think about it, if four different people that you know are going to tell you a story, they'll probably latch on to different details and you'll probably get other insights from them. So it just makes sense that all four Gospels would be different and not exactly the same. Well, think of it this way. You have two friends that are watching a football game. One is a Vikings fan and one is a Packers fan. So when they're telling you the story uh, of the game, if I'm a Vikings fan, I'm going to talk about what the Vikings did perhaps on defense or on offense uh, on the other side. If I'm a Packers fan, I might talk about uh, their quarterback. or if the, My points of emphasis will be different from my perspective. That doesn't change the reality that we're both talking about the same game. It's just we're talking from different perspectives. So realize that it's not contradictory when Matthew has one detail, Luke has a different detail. It's just that Luke is telling the story from one perspective and Matthew's telling it from another. And so as we do that, probably written around 50 to 60 AD, so several years after Jesus has ascended into heaven, and it has a very broad audience, and that audience really is important as we look at Matthew. Yes, so one of my professors at the seminary, Dr. Jeff Gibbs, he says that Matthew was written addressing a broad Christian audience of Jewish and Gentile worshiping communities in Syria and Palestine. And worshiping was a word that he emphasized there. Matthew was written for people 
that have heard the story of Jesus and believe, but they might not know the entire story. And so Matthew, this is the disciple, Matthew, the tax collector, Levi, Matthew writes an account of everything that he saw and everything that he remembered that Jesus said and did, and he wrote it for these worshiping communities so that they would have a copy of this story so that they'd be able to read it and memorize it and pass it down to children and other people as well. So this is a book written for the worshiping church, the early church. And you see a great connection to the Old Testament, lots of Old Testament references, a lot of prophecy re related there. And again, that's because they would somewhat know the story, but now getting diving into the story even more. Now, you could be asking yourself the question, why is it written in Greek? Well, remember, Rome was the dominating, it was the empire of Rome, and the official language of the empire was Greek. So even though... Uh, Aramaic was probably the more everyday language of the people. Uh, they would, official documents or documents in this manner would be written in Greek. So when we're in the uh, seminary, one of the languages we need to learn is Greek. And part of that is uh, Aramaic Greek. It's a little bit different than the classical Greek of the Odyssey and the Iliad. But um, it's very important to then get the nuances of the words. And so Matthew and the rest of the New Testament was written in Greek. And so uh, just to understand it's a very specific language, uh, much more uh, than English, uh, much more specific in uh, the timing, whether it's past, present, or future. And that's going to impact the translations as we see them as we now read in the New Testament. And we talked about this in the intertestamental period episode. So if you want to go back and check it out, I'd recommend that. But there's also a translation of the Old Testament that went from Hebrew to Greek. So now the Old Testament is also translated into Greek. And so this is what the people are commonly speaking in these days. And so when Jesus came to earth and was born, he spoke Greek most of the time. So it's just important that we go back to the original languages to see what's actually there, because there's a lot hidden in the Hebrew and the Greek that we just sort of miss out on in English. But it's our job to tell you when that is, so you can let us worry about that, I suppose. Well, Matthew starts out with the genealogy of Jesus, and verse 1 answers the question right away, who is Jesus? The Christ, the anointed one, the expected Messiah. And here is where we get into that understanding Greek-Hebrew. Uh, Hebrew would be Messiah. Greek would be Christ. And so Christ Messiah is kind of redundant. It's, you know, we were saying one in Greek, one in Hebrew. Uh, and if we didn't realize one was Greek and one was Hebrew, we might think, well, well, it's two different. No, it's the same word. It's just uh, the promised one, basically. And that go that promise goes all the way back to King David and the promise from David back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so we see the king of the Jews as being related back to King David. And we see this in the genealogy. And the genealogy continues with uh, the son of David, the king of the Jews, the righteous branch from the stump of Jesse promised by the prophets. So this is the second identity that Jesus is given. He's the son of David. He's a king. He's here to rule. And then the third identity that he's given is the son of Abraham. So he's a part of this people of Israel that God promised to Abraham long ago. Jesus is a part of the many nations that um, God promised Abraham's family would grow into. And we see that in the gospel, this promise of many nations is also extended to Gentiles, to people outside of Abraham's lineage, and that is done through Jesus. And so, this is a story of 
God's salvation coming to a specific people that actually branches out to all people in the world. And uh, if we continue on with verses 2 through 17, you'll get a lot of names. This person, the son of that person, the son of that person. And we want to talk a little bit about the significance of the genealogy. There's a couple reasons why this is given to us right off the bat in Matthew. The first is that it points out that this is Jesus' family, and it is full of sinners. It is full of people that disobeyed God's word, went back on his promises, and just screwed up. But God did not just make a perfect family for Jesus to come into the world through. God actually embraced this world's messiness in this very real way by being descended from a messed up family. And we see that um, Jesus is the first person and really the only person that gets everything right, even though he came from a family that didn't get it right in a lot of ways. As we also notice then, uh, the two women mentioned in the genealogy. Now, notice it's this son, that father, this son, that. Uh, and remembering from our readings throughout the trek through the Old Testament, Rahab would be the uh, one who housed the spies in Jericho, and she was the only one saved from Jericho. Well, she becomes a descendant of Jesus. Ruth, uh, the Moabite, uh, marries into the family, and she becomes a descendant. And so, uh, we reminded how God is the God of all creation and how he uses them in that regard. And also uh, you have the whole issue of David and his uh, sin by taking Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, and that's also mentioned as well. So we see that the messiness exudes even outside of the children of Israel related to that. And genealogies in the ancient world really communicated a person's status or somewhat connection to the community. Um, Genealogy is something that very much interests me. Uh, in in the ancient times, one of the things that they would do over and over again, they would repeat these names over and over again. So the the father would teach those names and their order to their sons, and then their son would then teach the name of the orders of those families to their sons, and so forth. Family back that way. Nowadays. We don't necessarily have that. We can go on to things like Ancestry.com and go back and find out our genealogies. Um, personally, that's one of the things I find very interesting. I find that uh, I have an ancestor that fought in the Revolutionary War in Virginia. Uh, I know on the other side of my family on that, then I have someone who fought under Grant and Civil War. I mean, I find that very interesting. But it's not the same as this time in the sense that the, this was something clearly taught from father to son and down. And so this connectivity, it showed where they came from and why they were there. So it's very important as we do that. And it inches us really closer to God's plan and how uh, it's not by accident that Jesus was born when he was born. He was specifically born into a specific family. And we also see that ultimately when it all comes together, the fullness of time has finally come to redeem his people. And that really leads us uh, as we go through our uh, opening chapters here of Matthew. Right. We can see God's hand at work throughout all of human history to bring us to this moment. Despite everybody's messiness and the sins of the world, he still culminates everything towards a specific goal, towards the cross, his son's death on the cross. This was his plan the whole time. And it's not our job to explain it. It is our job to tell the story, that this is how God acted to save the world. And so we hope that that serves as 
a good introduction to Matthew. We hope that um, this is helpful to you as you begin to read the first few chapters of it. And uh, hopefully you learned a thing or two today that you might not have known about Matthew before. And be reminded that if you have questions, uh, you may text or email us questions. Uh, there is also the connectivity. There is a Google form on our website that you can go and click on and, and do that. We'll be able to add some of those answers on at the end of our sessions or Bible class as well. So we pray that the Lord blesses your reading this week and look forward to having you back again next week as we continue our trek through the scriptures in the Gospel of Matthew. Thanks for joining us on our trek through the scriptures this week. This podcast is a ministry of Zion Lutheran Church in Bismarck, North Dakota. To contact us, learn more, or for more resources on our journey this year, please visit zionbismarck.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or YouTube. This podcast was made possible by a grant from Lutheran Church Extension Fund. We thank them for their support. Please join me in prayer as we begin our new week. Blessed Lord, you have caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant that we may so hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Thanks for listening. Tune in next time as we continue our exploration of God's story in the scriptures. God bless your reading this week.